Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek Trek. I'm your host, Justin Chang, and with me is Randy Nelson. Ahoy, everyone. Ahoy, Randy. Yeah, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. There's some Star Trek new toy news, oh, which is exciting. What's that? Um, you know those Funko reaction, the the retro style Kenner mm. Kenner Yeah, toys? they're supposed to look like those old Kenner figures, and there's been like aliens and that was the first ones, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um they're not very good. <laughs> I've but... seen the Firefly ones and they leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. But uh some classic Trek ones were announced and you know, my love for Star Trek kinda outweighs my disdain for those toys, so I might pick them up. Hmm. I'll have to look into those and see what they look like because i can almost imagine uh that they might kind of fit given that star trek can be so retro Mm -hmm. anyways i'll uh maybe i'll chime in later and (laughs) let you know what i thought yeah i don't know i mean it's kind of cool uh there's also going to be a i think qmx is doing a one six scale um basically a doll you know one of those bigger action figures with cloth Mm -hmm. and stuff uh they're doing a six scale captain picard Ooh. Uh, which is cool too. It's yeah. nice nice to see some uh Star Trek stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, especially considering that, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast uh the other day, a different podcast, uh, that was talking about uh Star Trek uh and the fact that there hasn't been uh, a current, you know, Trek f- series on TV in a mm-hmm. long time. It was actually a, actually I'm gonna give a shout out to a, a podcast that I really like, uh, because people might actually be uh Trek Trek listeners might be interested in this. It's a board gaming podcast called Flip the Table. Uh, it's really funny. They're kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 for uh, board games. It's these guys out of Maine, and they um, they play old, uh, they call them cheesy, weird, and obscure board games. And they were looking at uh, the Star Trek The Motion Picture board game from 1979, <laughs> um, which actually, it turned out, I mean, spoiler alert, uh, they actually kind of liked. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was an old Milton Bradley game that uh, wasn't just super cheesy. So, uh, But the thing about it was part of their discussion was they, you know, like us, they, they go into other aspects of, of what they're talking about. Um, and they were talking about how uh, a lot of them are Star Trek fans, but that there hasn't been a Trek series and, you know, since the one we're talking about, Enterprise. Uh, yeah, so it's it's still, it's exciting to me that there's still so much Star Trek um, tie-in merchandise being released, even though there's, you know, the really the only Star Trek properties now are the J.J. Abrams movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not just all merchandise around those movies. There's still tons of classic stuff being released there's actually not that much jj abrams merchandise or as not as much as i thought there would be mm-hmm. uh i mean there were action figures they didn't do well there were uh creo building block sets the, the fake lego mm-hmm. um I, I don't know if i should say fake lego but they're the <laughs> lego alternative you can't say fago because that's the kind of soda <laughs> that is uh imbibed by uh you know those guys what are they called icp the- <laughs> the ICP fans, right? Juggalos, Juggalos, Juggalos. Yes. Um, yeah, it's there hasn't been as much JJ Abrams stuff as I thought there would be, um, mm-hmm. but still, I'm glad to see you know older Trek series getting merchandise. Yeah. It seems like maybe that's where the collectors are. It's old stuff, mm-hmm. older stuff, like us. 
you know, collectors like us. So I'm excited. Um, we've been talking about going, uh, one little last thing on toy, toy news. We've been talking about going to the super, uh, I think I'm getting the name right. Super toy and collectible show. Yeah. Like that. San Jose super toy show. Yeah. On March 7th. Um, we've been talking about going to that and you were telling me, um, off the air as it were, uh, that you actually ended up picking up some Trek collectibles there last year. So I'm excited about potentially picking up, Maybe I'll I'll find a a Tuvok figure. I've been wanting to, one of those. <laughs> yeah, the last time I went, I think I talked about it on this show, but last time I went, um I got a bunch of sealed on card uh Voyager action figures for a mm-hmm. dollar a piece. Yeah, all right. So there's hope. <laughs> I'd like to pick up some Enterprise merch, actually. Um, yeah. I've been kind of, I mean, as we've been watching the show, I've been getting more and more into it. Yeah, I definitely would like to get something collectible around Dr. Phlox, mm-hmm. which uh, is a bit of a segue <laughs> into what we're talking about this week, right? Speaking of Dr. Phlox, uh, this episode's all about him. Mm. We're going to talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, Episode 13, Dear Doctor. Yeah, we knew it in the title that it was going to be about our, eh, we've been going back and forth on this, of Trip or Phlox is our favorite character, uh, but one of our favorite characters on Enterprise so far. Original air date, January 23, 2002. Uh, episode opens in sickbay. Dr. Phlox turns on the lights and feeds the various animals in the room. He's got uh, he's got quite a menagerie growing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when he was feeding that one in the uh, tank full of sand, it reminded me of Star Trek Two. Exactly, and and I love that they weren't. I mean, even though this was in the era of CG, it was all like practical effects. So it was clearly like someone's finger <laughs> reaching up out of the sand and and grabbing it. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, it didn't escape and go into his ear canal. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then it's the opening credits, and I have to say that after all this time, I'm actually starting to like the opening credits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we uh, we w- talked about last episode how we kind of got together and uh, when we were both in the same area, and uh, part of that was was blasting uh, Faith of the Heart uh, <laughs> at, at a at a quite a loud volume while driving around uh, Palo Alto. So. And uh, yeah, so I didn't want to claw my ears out. Yeah, maybe it's uh, Stockholm syndrome or something. But <laughs> I think that's it. But I'm kind of liking the uh, opening credits now. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that was the thing. Maybe the people behind the show listened to it long enough. They're like, "Oh, this is great. Everyone's gonna feel like this." So there you go. <laughs> Uh, I I was tweeting that I was going to watch this episode, and I got a message from someone that said, "Friends don't let friends watch Enterprise." Mm. And uh, I was like, "I don't know, man. You should give it a chance." Yeah, well, like I was I was mentioning the the flip the table guys, uh, Flip Flory, one of the hosts of that show. He's a, a big Trekkie, and he said that you know basically it's probably his second favorite Trek. So there you go. Um, after the opening credits, Hoshi enters sickbay and gives Phlox his messages. Phlox apparently gets more messages than anyone else on the ship. Hmm. Uh, Hoshi is learning the Denobulan language from Phlox, and he is going to teach her Jaren's later. Uh, hmm. 
Hoshi leaves and Phlox hears the message from his exchange doctor, Jeremy Lucas. Dr. Lucas says it's mating season on Denobula, which is a rigorous time. Oh, well, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. <laughs> uh, Dr. Phlox wanders into engineering while he recites his letter to Dr. Lucas via voiceover. Uh, this episode is full of voiceover. Uh, Flox in engineering, Flox heals up a wounded engineer. Uh, cut to Flox in the mess hall. Thanks to the voiceover, we learn that Flox is becoming more accepted by the crew. And he hadn't intended to stay for as long as he has. Hmm. But he likes observing humans. Uh, Reed walks by and Flox invites him to sit with the doctor. But Reed is too busy. Uh, Flox is visibly disappointed, and in voiceover, we learn that he has trouble socializing. Thanks to being a doctor, though, interaction with others is inevitable. Uh, cut to the doctor in sickbay again, telling Archer that Porthos has gastrointestinal distress because he's been eating cheese. Yeah, and they set that up that where it looked at first like he was telling... Um archer that he just had some gastrointestinal distress but then there was this funny little like pan zoom pull out uh to show it was porthos <laughs> and you know porthos loves cheese yeah he's, he just can't say no he's not supposed to have it but archer keeps giving it to him yeah he's, he's really got to get over that he's got to just learn to say no to porthos but porthos is pretty cute <laughs> that's yeah very true uh flox is intrigued by the bond between humans and pets hmm. cut to movie night remember they mentioned movie night a couple yep. episodes back yeah i actually can't even see it uh the enterprise crew is watching for whom the bell tolls from 1943 uh which would be ancient for them and uh, yeah, exactly. I said, it's like us watching the Lumiere brothers arrival of a train at La Ciotat from uh, 1896. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, crewman Elizabeth Cutler from the episode Strange New World. That's right. She's back. Uh, she's sitting next to Flox. Uh, Flox is more interested in the human's reaction to the film than the film itself. Mm -hmm. uh, people on Denobula stopped watching movies when they discovered that their real lives were more interesting. Hmm. Somehow, you know, that's nice to think. But <laughs> I don't see that happening on Earth. Sorry, no. Flox uh, is interested in Trip, who is crying during the movie. Well, I guess I didn't catch that. Interesting. Well, he, he had something in his eye, he said. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, got it. I, maybe I believed him. <laughs> Oh, he's not crying. He, he Trip doesn't cry. He's just got something in his eye. He's not crying. It's just raining on his face. Yeah, exactly. He's not crying. Uh, later, Flox and Cutler are walking down a hallway, and Flox is quizzing her on the cardiopulmonary system. He drops her off at her quarters, and she wants to make plans for later. Hmm. Uh, we learned that Denobulans don't like being touched after she grabs him. Mm, right. That was interesting. Um. And she kisses him on the cheek. And, oh, and, boy. And Flox thinks Cutler is into him, but he isn't sure. Hmm. He's not sure. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, he's a lot to learn about humans still. Yeah. Uh, the Enterprise comes across a ship drifting in space 
on the bridge, T'Pol tells Archer that there is a Class M planet less than a light year away. Hoshi says that the ship isn't responding to hails, and Reed informs them that it's a pre-warp ship. Uh, T'Pol discovers two faint biosigns on board. Uh, in sick bay, Phlox wakes up one of the aliens. Uh, Archer tells the alien what's going on. The alien responds in his own language, so Hoshi runs the Universal Translator. The alien says he left a planet called Velakis over a year ago with three other ships. They left because they have an illness that killed 12 million Velakians before they left. Uh, they were seeking people with warp technology that would have more advanced medical science. They encountered two other warp-capable species before, including the Ferengi. Mm, yes. Uh, T'Pol says that she has not heard of either of those two warp-capable species, however. That, that was interesting to, to you know, it, I know it's a prequel, but to have a Vulcan say, yeah, we don't know the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, as we know, the Ferengi were very much a TNG aliens race. Mm -hmm. I want to say that on TNG, they encounter the Ferengi for the first time, potentially. I believe that's true. Yeah, the Enterprise comes across a Ferengi ship, and they're like, who are these weird new aliens that are obsessed with gold platinum? <laughs> Anyways. Um, the Valakian wants help from Phlox. Archer pulls T'Pol aside. T'Pol says that since the Valakians have encountered two other warp-capable species before, the risk of contamination is deemed acceptable, so Archer tells Phlox to help him out. Huh. In Sick Bay, Phlox is examining the two Valakians, and later in the mess hall, Phlox is helping Hoshi learn Denobulin. Hoshi has noted that Phlox and Cutler have been getting cozier, but Phlox doesn't know for sure if she's into him. Mm. He's just really not picking up on the signals. Not at all. Um, and yes, they're speaking Denobulin here, and there's some mm. humorous moments where Hoshi gets words wrong. Washboard. <laughs> yeah. There's some others. Uh, the Enterprise flies into Valakis's orbit. Phlox is on the bridge and is intrigued by the human's desire to help others. In a hospital on Valakis, the doctor there tells Phlox and Archer that one out of three people are getting infected with this illness and that the disease is mutating quickly. Uh, Hoshi wanders off to check on how the astronauts they brought back to Valakis are doing, but when she asks a worker, his words go untranslated for some reason. Hmm. Elsewhere in the hospital, T'Pol warns Archer that they will need to guard uh, their equipment. Archer doesn't think uh, the Vlackians would steal anything, but T'Pol has learned from experience that their technology is very tempting for less advanced cultures. Uh, Archer and T'Pol meet up with Hoshi, who still can't translate what the worker is saying. Uh, the doctor and Phlox walk up, and the doctor speaks in the same language. He says that the worker is Menk, a race that is less evolved than Vlackians, but are very hard workers. The Menk are not affected by this disease. Unfortunately, the Mink and Valakians are physiologically in incompatible, so they can't look to the Mink for a cure. There's a montage of Phlox treating Valakians. In the sick bay on Enterprise, Phlox is working with Cutler. He invites her to join him on Valakis. Later, Phlox is examining T'Pol's teeth in sick bay. 
she has some decay in her teeth, which she says is impossible. Uh, and while he's treating her, uh, Phlox asks her about her experiences living with humans and whether humans are known to mate outside of their species. Tamal says that humans are too immature for interspecies romance and that they are just curious about what's new. Phlox hmm. uh, enters Archer's ready room. Archer says that the Vlachians want to know if Phlox has made any progress. Phlox can ease the symptoms, but the cause isn't a virus or bacteria. It's a genetic disease. And at the current rate, the Valachians will be extinct in less than two centuries. Phlox says it's very difficult to reverse genetic abnormalities, but there is a chance it can be cured with the mink. On Valachis, Phlox, Hoshi, and Cutler are walking through a mink village. Uh, it's very primitive, filled with tents and torches. Phlox is surprised by the fact that the mink and Valachians can coexist, and he examines uh, some of the mink. Uh, one of the mink is helping them out. He's learned the uh, word food, and he gives some to the away team. Flox uh, hasn't seen any crops or livestock, so he wonders where the food came from. Hoshi asks, and she learns that the land is not good for planting, and the Valakians don't let them live in fertile areas, but the Valakians provide food and medicine. Yeah, there's some weird dynamics going on in this episode. Yeah. It just kept making me feel more and more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But then they say, oh, but they're nice, they're good to us. <laughs> yeah, via voiceover, Flock says that Cutler and Hoshi think that the mink are being exploited by the Vlachians. And, uh, you think? <laughs> And uh, Phlox himself has underestimated the mink. Uh, Phlox and Cutler discuss the Valachian mink relationship. And then uh, Phlox and Cutler discuss their own, uh, their marital statuses. And we learn that Phlox has three wives, and each of the wives has two husbands, not counting Phlox himself. Uh, Phlox asks point blank if Cutler is interested in him romantically. And she says she's interested, but she doesn't want to be his fourth wife. She just wants to be his friend and to see where things go. Hmm. So maybe uh, FWB. <laughs> <laughs> In the hospital, uh, Archer speaks with the astronaut he spoke to before. The astronaut wants warp engines so they can seek help if Flux can't cure them. Mm. Back on Enterprise... Archer enters the bridge. T'Pol tells him that they've been receiving hails from all over because they think the Enterprise has a cure for the disease. Archer pulls T'Pol aside in his, to his ready room. Uh, he tells her that the Valachians want warp technology, but the Valachians don't have the understanding to build a warp engine, even if they have the schematics, and they don't know how dangerous antimatter is. Archer has decided that the Valachians aren't ready for warp technology, uh, but the Enterprise could stay and help them. T'Pol points out that the Vulcans stayed to help Earth and are still there 90 years later. And Archer is beginning to understand how the Vulcans felt. Uh -huh. In the mess hall, Phlox enters and sees that Archer's there. We learn that the Denobulans don't really rest except for their annual hibernation cycle, which lasts six days. I'm sure that will be a plot point later. Uh, yeah, but it was really interesting. I mean, just more alien, you know, just more insight into another species. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Denobulants are brand new, so it's good to know something about them. Flux says that he hasn't found a cure and that he doesn't find it ethical to give it to them if he had one, because he'd be interfering with the evolutionary cycle. Uh, the mink are getting smarter and are evolving, and the mink can become the dominant species on the planet. Flux wants to let nature make its choice, but Archer says he has a moral obligation to help people. Then Flox reveals that he has a cure, but he's at odds with Archer. Uh, this is actually a very... And this is actually a point... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that this is a very uh, important conversation between these characters. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to mention that the discussion of evolution mm-hmm. um, was pretty key here, and that um, it was really stressed that... Um, you know, Flock stresses. I think his quote was something like, you know, evolution isn't just a theory, right. Captain. It's a fundamental scientific principle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was a little bit of weight being put behind, you know, creationism <laughs> versus evolution. I was like, oh, Star Trek is uh, ta- finally again tackling some weighty subjects mm-hmm. or weighty uh, debates. Ultimately, Flox decides to back whatever Archer's choice is. Archer enters sickbay and has been mulling things over all night. He talks about how someday Starfleet will come up with a list of what should and shouldn't be done while exploring space. But until that directive is drafted, the prime directive, you could say, uh, he will have to remind himself every day that they're not out there to play God. Flox uh, is ashamed that he almost withheld his findings from Archer. Archer provides the Valakians with a medicine that will ease the symptoms for a decade, which will give them enough time to develop a cure on their own. Uh, the Valakian doctor tells Archer that a warp drive would help their odds even more, but Archer says no and instead provides him with instructions on how to synthesize more medicine. It's interesting. Uh, now, I don't know if it's interesting, but it's it was cool to see them have this debate and then ultimately you know archer comes around to we can't interfere mm-hmm. that that he he's kind of going against the grain for archer which up until this point has been well we it's you know the right thing to do we've just got to do the right thing which is to you know help these people at all costs right mm-hmm and in this episode, he actually takes some time to, um, to kind of sleep on it, I guess, literally, and and comes around and basically starts talking about the prime directive, right? Um, whereas, um, uh, Flox the whole time was saying, well, you know, he wasn't going to tell Archer even that he had a cure. He was just going to say, oh no, no cure, no cure. Oh, and by the way, you know. One of these, uh, one of these guys is dying off. The other one is probably going to be the dominant species. So mm-hmm. that's just the way nature wants it to go. Um, Flox again feels bad about trying to withhold information from Archer, which would make him as bad as the Vulcans who withheld information from humans. Mm-hmm. He misjudged Archer, but he now has a new respect for him. Uh, Flox finishes his recording to Doctor Lucas and gives it to Hoshi. Hoshi advises him to get out of sick bay, and Flox then calls Cutler and invites her to join him for a snack in the mess hall. Flox then turns out the lights and leaves sick bay, book ending the episode, and that's it. Yeah, it was, you know, tied up there pretty nicely. Um, 
So in researching this episode, actually, and maybe something we can talk about, I found that uh, originally the ending was different. Um, I don't know if you saw any of this, but that um, the network at the time requested that they change the ending uh, so that it didn't look like um, Phlox was disobeying the captain. Because um, apparently originally uh, the captain wanted to, you know, help them and Phlox was going to withhold the fact that he had found a cure from the captain. Okay. Um, so they changed it so that Archer changed his mind? Yeah. Yeah, that Archer also decided against it. Um, and apparently, basically everyone on the production side involved, Brandon Braga and then, you know, John uh, Billingsley, uh, they were, you know, all kind of ticked off mm-hmm. <laughs> that they had to change the ending because they thought, you know, it would be an interesting interesting thing to have happen, to have a you know member of the crew actually disobey orders. Right. Um, I mean... As you said before, it does kind of go against Archer's nature to change his mind. Mm-hmm. But I can see it from the network's point of view that they want a captain who they don't want people to question his or countermand his orders, you know? Yeah, because then it feels like he's not really in charge on the show, I guess. Right. Um, but it was I mean, so in a way it was I can see both sides of it. Um, I, I actually do like that Archer for the first time seems to have actually thought something through Mm -hmm. and decided that, oh, well, maybe, you know, we need to let these people like have an early prime directive and let these people kind of deal with the situation on their own uh, and not just go around playing God. Because basically, you know, what he says to them is, hey, maybe, you know, this will help the symptoms for another, you know, number of years. And, you know, maybe within that period of time, you guys will develop warp on your own or you guys will you know come up with a cure on your own but that we really need you you know you need to do this on your own right so um yeah so what did you think of this episode it, this was an excellent episode yeah uh, this, this is was, by far my favorite episode of the season yeah i i mean this is i think what we've been waiting for was that this this felt like and it wasn't just because we like flock so much i mean that did help i mean it was cool because it really help develop his character even more and but he wasn't like funny flux no no i mean he was it it was interesting there was just a lot to it you Mm -hmm. know we learned a lot i i mean i really think that this is the kind of thing we need for all the characters because we learned a lot more about flux and his his race and just him and um but you're right it wasn't just him being you know kind of funny goofy flux um, and then there was, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about Star Trek is that they go into these ethical, like, these debates. I have, like, these crises of conscience. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those episodes. And I mean, so many of the best Star Trek episodes are about, you know, how do we deal with... We've discovered a new civilization, but, you know, we're sworn not to interfere. And this was a case where they haven't developed the Prime Directive yet. Mm-hmm. So really, it's up to, it was really up to the Enterprise and up to Archer and everyone involved to decide, how are we going to deal with this situation? And then, you know, having, I mean, even though the ending was changed, having that that point where Phlox was kind of, you know, Phlox was kind of like he was a little more, it was interesting that they didn't really have uh, T'Pol weigh in on this. Because I'm guessing T'Pol would have said, you know, well, we can't give them a cure, even if we have one, because we're interfering in their evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but to have, you know, basically, um, I, I guess in a way it did show that the humans were still kind of immature in this whole process because, you know, again, Archer's first instinct was to help them at all costs and, you know, do whatever they needed to do. Whereas the alien characters, again, are, they'd have been doing this longer were basically, you know, in Flox's case saying, well, no, they need, you know, this is the natural process of evolution on this planet. If we interfere by curing them, then we'll be interfering with the f- their future. We'll be interfering with natural the natural process. Well, like Fox said, if aliens had interfered and saved Neanderthals over humans, mm-hmm. like Archer wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, I thought it was pretty fascinating. Um, it was by far the best episode yet, um, and I thought it was only better because of all the you know, the focus on flocks. Mm-hmm. And I liked the stuff with, you know, it's interesting to see a, you know, we've seen relationships on Trek before, but it was interesting, you know, they're like getting to the point where there's possibility of a relationship, you know, going on. And I thought it was, um, I thought that um, her kind of, her mindset was kind of interesting because it was both like, she didn't care if, if he had like multiple wives and the wives had multiple husbands and but at the same time she was just kind of like empowered so she was kind of you know saying well i just want to be friends and see what happens you know like it they didn't feel the need to say like oh she's just so in love with him or something mm-hmm. you know so i'm interested to see what happens with her character too yeah yeah um i agree with all those points the only negative i had about this episode was the talk about the prime directive was very heavy-handed oh yeah i mean he the fact that he even inserts directive like i mean let me see if i can find the actual quote he says um someday my people are going to come up with some kind of doctrine something that tells us what we can and can't do out here what they should and shouldn't do it's all it's somebody tells me they've drafted that directive i'm gonna have to remind myself Every day that we didn't come out here to play God. So, yeah, that was very melodramatic <laughs> and heavy-handed. I mean, it was basically like, hey, guess what? This is a prequel. Uh, I'm talking about the Prime Directive, you know, for you dummies out there. <laughs> I think that could have been a little more subtle. Yeah, but everything else was handled so well. Um, yeah, I just really like this episode. Oh, I hope it's the first of many to come mm-hmm. of this quality because it, it was Trek. Yes. Good track. And apparently, um, apparently this episode is like the favorite among basically everyone on the show from the first season. So more. Yes. More, please. Definitely. Uh, next week we're going to talk about sleeping dogs. Yeah. Not the video game. Oh, Square I, Enix. I thought we were going to talk about the video game. I'm disappointed oh. now. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, everybody, uh, have a great one, and talk to you then. Bye.